0: I know words, I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hello, hello, what is up, everybody? Welcome back. This is the Peddling Fiction Podcast, and I, of course, am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita. Thank you all so very much for tuning in once again. It's Monday. I've decided, for those of you not in our uh, the private Facebook group, I don't know why you wouldn't be, but I made an announcement on Friday, and I'm sorry about not doing an episode Friday. I will explain that in some detail in a minute what I announced to the group was that I've decided to switch the schedule up a little bit. Normally I was doing episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays and the Friday episodes, while they were a little more convenient for me historically, um, at least for the next couple of weeks, they, they might not be, but um, generally speaking, it's more convenient for me to do an episode on Friday, but I didn't, I was looking at the numbers and it doesn't seem like people are as interested in a Friday episode as they are on episodes during the week. Now, I don't know if it's just my Friday episodes aren't as um, enticing or engaging as my Tuesday episodes. I find that hard to believe. I usually, you know, pretty much do the same type of show, so... Um, I, I I don't know if it's uh, the way I title it or the, the topics maybe, but I, I'm more inclined to believe that it has to do with the fact that it's Friday, and not a lot of people are listening to podcasts on Fridays or over the weekends. You know, especially now that some of us are at least out of the locked down conditions we've been suffering from for the last couple of months, but. You know, I I think it makes sense that the people on Fridays, they're not like, oh, this new podcast came out. Let me listen to it. And then Saturday you're doing things. You're out with friends or whatever. Sunday, you know, still the weekend. And then Monday comes around and you start listening. You know, some people would start listening to the Friday episode. But then the following day I drop another episode. So the, the Friday numbers always seem to lag behind the Tuesdays and um, my guess is that's just the timing of the week. So what I've decided to do is switch it to Mondays and Thursdays. So hopefully that will help, uh, give people a little more time to, uh, get through the, the, the episode later in the week. You know, Thursday, you'll have all of Friday to listen to it. If it's, you know, uh, if you don't get to it on Thursday and then some of the weekend, if you're doing chores around the house or something like that, I do think that generally speaking, podcast viewership is down simply because people aren't commuting to work and and things like that but um anyway that's that's going to be the new schedule going forward is Mondays and Thursdays and I am sorry that I missed Friday's episode that was uh it was unexpected I um (laughs) it was one of those things where yeah, you go down to the pool for a quick dip after after a day's worth of work, and you plan on staying there for I don't know an hour or so, and then going back up to to do the podcast. And you know, there's uh there were a bunch of Mexicans in the pool that were trying to throw a football around, and you know, I had to show these guys how to fire the fucking pigskin. <laughs> and next thing I know, we're uh, we're all. Uh, hanging out at the side of the pool, ripping shots at tequila. And, you know, I, I look up and a couple hours have gone by and it just didn't seem like the right time to to try to bang out an episode that, that wouldn't get released until like really late on Friday night that most people wouldn't be able to listen to, like I said, for the weekend because they're doing other things. So, And since I was thinking about switching the schedule to, to Mondays and Thursdays anyways, I figured... I'll just skip that one and we'll we'll start the new schedule today. And I mean there's a lot. There's a lot of things that I've been wanting to talk about. Um and I, I don't necessarily think they all really tie together into one overarching theme like I normally do except for the fact that you know the the typical and cap libertarian theme that the government sucks and they fail at just about everything that they do. But um yeah, I've been I've been keeping up with, with things that have been going on on Twitter and, and, uh, and trending on, on there and the news cycle and everything. And there's, there's a few things. I mean, just the, as sick as I am talking about the whole COVID-19 thing, which consumes the vast majority of the news cycle now. I just got word today that in, um, Jalisco, Mexico, which is where I am right now. I am broadcasting once again from a formerly undisclosed location. And now I've given it away, but, um, they're, they're starting to see a surge in cases, right? Like we've been seeing all around the U S and everything like that. And (laughs) you know, if you're a Democrat, you attribute it to Donald Trump's lack of leadership. And if you're a Republican, you attribute it to, I don't know, whatever theory you want to come up with. You know, Democrats just trying to keep Trump's economy down so that they can help Biden get elected, which I do think there is something to that, not necessarily to the number of cases, but to the hysteria surrounding the number of cases. But what's going on over here now is they had a jump in cases and the way they've been measuring it is... Uh, cases per million okay so from uh, in the last week cases jumped from 300 uh, cases per million to 336 cases per million and i guess when they reopened the economy down here they shut down just like the united states did in like mid-march and they reopened in early june and the governor uh, came out and said you know if we get up to 400 cases per million then we're going to shut everything down again for two weeks you know like like what they're doing in in a lot of uh states in in the united states you know they, they come up with these arbitrary numbers where they're going to shut everything down again and they also have a hospitalization uh requirement you know if the hospitals get up to 50 percent capacity they're going to do the same thing a, a two-week shutdown and they're only at uh like 28% capacity here. It went from 26. you know, 1 to 28.2 or something even though the cases jumped from 300 to 336. So, um the thing that's driving me crazy is who the fuck cares about cases? All right. Now I know I've talked about this before, but if it's not a hospitalization, who cares? Who cares? Like if you have symptoms And you go and get tested and it turns out that you've tested positive for the coronavirus. Uh, Okay, now what? Like, are you being hospitalized or are you just being sent home and quarantined for two weeks? Right? So from my perspective, if you have symptoms and you think, oh, maybe I have coronavirus, go ahead and quarantine yourself. Take it upon yourself to quarantine. If you're afraid that you might pass it on to your parents or something, don't go visit your parents but to have the number of cases go up while deaths and uh, deaths are going down and like the, the idea that we're going to shut down the economy again every time cases go up it just seems like the most retarded logic to me of all time because the cases are always going to go up when you open up the economy and you let people out of their out of their cages okay i mean of course that's going to happen so what's the plan here what are we going to do we're going to open up the economy until the number of cases gets to some arbitrary level where we say that's it. Okay, now we have to shut everything down again. And then the cases go back down. And then we open things back up. And the cases go up. And then we shut everything down. And we're just going to keep doing that shit in perpetuity? Until when? This This is nonsense. Until there's a vaccine, which there might not ever be. Complete and utter nonsense. And I don't, for the life of me, understand what the hysteria is. You know, a friend of mine, a friend of mine who's actually here with me right now, his brother um, has been banging this chick for the entire year. The This whole year they've been banging. She just tested positive for COVID-19. Um, I, I don't know exactly why she got tested in the first place. So, And, and this guy's brother's been kind of a paranoid bitch about the, the whole COVID-19 thing, which is kind of funny, in my opinion. <laughs> but um, So now he's freaking out like he's got it and he had to go get tested and my my first reaction was like why is he freaking out like let's say he has it uh okay he he doesn't have any symptoms it's not affecting his life at all like just just self quarantine right i mean not nothing else changes you're not being hospitalized you don't even feel sick so who who cares but he he goes and gets tested and he has to wait 5 days and his test came back uh negative so I don't know. I guess there's a couple possible explanations for that. One, they're doing some really weird sex stuff. They're not doing it right. Uh, two, um, she got a false positive. Three, he got a false negative. Four, you know, these tests are are complete bullshit. and They don't tell you anything. Uh, or, you know, maybe uh, he's immune to it for some reason. I, I know people with o, bl- o negative blood or O blood are less susceptible to that, which is myself, I am O negative universal donor, or, you know, people who are asymptomatic, because neither of them had symptoms. So maybe asymptomatic people can't transmit this disease. I mean, like, I still have a lot of questions about this. Like, I don't know if, you know, I've I sort of lost interest in this whole thing. Once I realized that this uh, whole virus thing has been overblown but does anybody know and you can hit me up on on Twitter on Facebook whatever do we know if people that are asymptomatic can actually transmit diseases even if you're getting dug out by a person I mean how is that possible how could you be having sex with somebody unprotected sex with somebody and not get the coronavirus from them I mean that just seems and but we got to wear these masks everywhere I mean, this is ridiculous. So can asymptomatic people not transmit the disease? Are certain people immune to it? What do these tests even mean? Like maybe she had COVID last year and she just had the antibodies for it. Or maybe it's just the, that nasal test that they do that tests for the presence in your nasal passages from which what I understand is just, just means that it's in your nasal passages. You're not necessarily infected and contagious with it. So what do these tests actually mean? the other question I have I mean I, I don't know I'm kind of riled up about this because if they close this place down on me uh, I'm going to be devastated I, I don't want to leave um, I might just still stay here but that means that the pools the beaches they'll all be closed and all I can basically do is, is walk to a store or something but uh they do have pharmacies out here which is pretty nice no prescriptions necessary Um uh, but what do the tests tell you what does that mean like okay uh do i have so um i have a i test positive what does that mean that i have it and that i'm contagious or that i had it like six months ago and i just have the antibodies for it or that it's in my my nose and uh i might you know I, i don't know so if anybody has any articles on this or more new information that i'm not aware of please send it to me or hit me up because uh I don't know this all just sounds like a bunch of bullshit to me and I don't understand what the plan is and who cares about cases this was never about cases this was about overwhelming the hospitals and the death rate every day uh, the first couple of months of this it was always this is how many people have died every day this many people died this many people died this is how many people are hospitalized and this is how many beds are left and blah, blah 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 it was never about cases who cares about cases if the case is just you either not having any symptoms or being a little sick for a few days and then you recover like any other illness? Anyway, um, that's what's going on with me here. And it seems like that's what's going on across the United States. And I do, I, I do think that a lot of this, uh, the hysteria around this has to do with dethroning Donald Trump, but I don't think that would necessarily, um, <laughs> play out across the world like i mean maybe mexico does also have a an incentive to uh dethrone donald trump i mean they hate they hate him down here as much as uh most americans hate him uh on the other side of the border there's a lot you know you see all this fuck trump hats and shirts being sold all, all over the place there's a lot of propaganda surrounding it too, which is pretty funny. When you talk to, uh, people down here, the things that they think, uh, Donald Trump has, has said about Mexicans is pretty outrageous. Not that he hasn't said some ridiculous things, but like he hasn't said nearly as many things as, as these people down here think that he's said, which, uh, I always find pretty funny. Anyway, that, uh, I guess that's all i have to say about that the um the other thing that's been kind of uh bugging me on twitter lately is all these people we just had the the uh 30th anniversary of the americans with disability act and uh you know all these uh like kamala harris and bernie sanders and joe biden they all come out to twitter and talk about how you know it's they, this is the 30 year anniversary and this is like the greatest thing and uh, disabled people this is a civil rights issue and they deserve uh, you know all, all of these um, th- the same rights and, and privileges as everybody else oh they don't say privileges I say privileges because that that's exactly what they are yes they do deserve all the rights of any other person because they are individual people and that's what our rights should be based off of but the ADA. And I don't know how many people listen to my podcast that also listen to uh, the Peter Schiff show. Uh, I, I generally try to try to catch most of his stuff. And I know he was going to do a, a special episode on the ADA. I haven't uh, had time to listen to it yet. But I've heard him talk about it in the past. So my guess is he's going to do a, a pretty in-depth episode on that because he announced it on like Twitter or, or something like that I think I saw him talk about it so um, you can probably tune into that and I don't want to go too in depth on it I just want to tie it into a larger theme that has to do with government policy and the unintended consequences of government intervention where they they take these issues and they, they all sound good. They all sound like they're well intentioned and they're all directed at some marginalized class of people, right? That's, that's one thing that politicians love to do, particularly on the left. But the ADA was actually signed into law by George H. W. Bush, the, the original, the George senior. So it was a Republican president who signed this into law in the case of the ADA, which is the Americans with Disability Act. I don't know if I, Clarified that or not, for those of you not familiar with it, but th- they break us up into groups and then they start to grant what amounts to special privileges to all of these marginalized or disenfranchised groups of people, right? You have gays, lesbians, transgenders, um, minorities, you know, re- religious minorities, dis- disabled people, and for some reason, women fall into this category, even though women are like more than half of the population. I don't understand why they're granted special privileges. But in the case of the Americans with Disability Act, you know, the idea was that, you know, uh, employers can't discriminate against people with disabilities. And so they, they, they came up with this legislation that basically said that and gives uh, people with disability, the um, the ability to uh, seek, you know, a, a redress of grievances in a court of law. Basically, they can sue employers for being discriminated against, either uh, not being hired in the first place because of their disability or or not being accommodated to their liking or to the standards set forth in the ADA which I think you know has some reasonableness standard clause in it or you know something happens in the in the office and uh the disabled person is, is unhappy with it he can you can sue the employer for discrimination based off of the ADA now that all sounds fantastic right i mean who wouldn't who wouldn't be against um People discriminating against uh, you know somebody in a wheelchair, or somebody with any other you know type of disability, uh, blind, deaf, um, and though that's the other thing, like I don't know how you define disability anymore because the number of people on disability has skyrocketed. So I like if you are on disability, does that mean you are a, a disabled person that can make claims under the ADA? I don't know. I mean, I. I would assume so, but I I don't know the legality of that. I don't know if you actually have to be like permanently disabled, or if like back pain, you know, that gets you onto disability, can um serve as a, a disability claim once you're employed again, or if like carpal tunnel syndrome is uh, a <laughs> is a dis a disability now. I don't know, but the problem with this legislation, while it sounds great. And we can all, you know, talk about how much we care about disabled people, and give us our, ourselves. Politicians can give themselves a big pat on the back to show how compassionate they are, and they care about, you know, even the smallest minority of people, the disabled. You know, who's if we're not going to care for them, who's going to care for them, right? And anybody that comes out against the ADA, it's like, oh well, yeah, you're a cruel, you know, piece of shit who doesn't care about disabled people. You you, you basically want them to die. Die, right, but the problem is, this legislation only serves to hurt the disabled, and one of the ways it does that is it incentivizes employers to discriminate against them. And if you look at the numbers of uh, people, disabled people who are in the labor force now versus who were in the labor force who were gainfully employed prior to the ada uh, getting signed it was in the 90s sometime like 1994 or something like that there were more disabled people working prior to the ada than after the ada now how do you explain that because if the stated goal of the Americans with Disability Act is to make it easier for uh, Americans with disability to get employed and stay employed and they can punish people who don't employ them or who don't employ them properly. Why are there fewer disabled people now working than before, before the ADA? Which happens to be the case with a lot of government legislation. Actually all of it, when, when you really look at it. But I mean, you you would think now with the modern day economy, like in the 90s, yeah, like we kind of had the Internet and everything, but it was like fucking dial up shit and nobody was using it except for like emails. OK, so it should be easier now for somebody who's in a wheelchair or somebody who's disabled physically for some other reason um, and maybe not necessarily blind. I don't know how um easy it is for for somebody who's blind to use the internet or something, but there should be so many more jobs that are open now to uh, like people in wheelchairs, for instance, than were before when you had to do like a lot, we had to do a lot more things manually. I mean, now like a a desk job is literally tailor made to somebody in a wheelchair. You wouldn't even have to uh, provide them with a chair as an employee, as an employer. Right? So why, why, why are less people, why are less uh, disabled people working now? Well, it's, it's real easy because the the incentive when you're an employer once once you know that there's um, there's a potential for a lawsuit, and there's all of this extra compliance costs to hiring a a disabled person, like you have to retrofit your your, uh, your entrant, you have to make everything wheelchair accessible and, and this you have to provide this and that and And you know most employers, if they you know prior to the ADA we're we're going to hire a disabled person. It's not like they don't want to accommodate them. I, employers always want to accommodate their uh, employees. They want to make it as pleasant for them to work as as basically possible because you you want your employees to want to work there. You want them to be happy, you want them to be comfortable, as particularly uh, people who are disabled. Like everybody You know, you see somebody who has some sort of disability, your heart goes out to them. I think we all feel that way. I mean, maybe maybe not some sociopath, but the vast majority of people want to go out of their way to make things more comfortable for somebody, say, in a wheelchair, something like that. So employers were more than willing to make necessary accommodations for for disabled uh, employees within reason. But once you add in all of this legislation that just has like blanketed, one-size-fits-all rules and regulations, things you must do in order to accommodate uh, disabled people, and then if you run afoul of any of the thousands of pages of rules and regulations in the ADA, well, then they can sue you, and lawsuits are expensive, and and so instead of hiring these people and trying to make necessary accommodations so that they can work for you comfortably and everything like that, you end up, you're incentivized to not hire them in the first place. And so fewer of them get hired. I mean, this is, we see this everywhere. We see it with minorities being hired. Um, all of these anti-discrimination laws with women as well, you know, as a small business, like you can get away with it if you're a huge, you know, fortune 500 company that has thousands and thousands of employer uh, employees um, not only can you absorb the compliance costs and and handle all the lawsuits because you have teams of lawyers who do this and and that's sort of just the cost of doing business but you can't really get away with not hiring any any minorities or any women or any uh, disabled people right because the odds are if you're hiring thousands of people um, at least a few of them would have to fall into one of those categories. But if you have a small business with a, cu- with a handful of employees. Which the vast majority of employment does come from small businesses, right? They're small business is the engine that drives the growth in the economy. Always hear politicians say that they do the most of the hiring. I know it seems like the Amazons of the world dominate everything, but there are a lot of small businesses that hire most of the people. So if you only have like three or four employees, it'd be very hard to prove. Discrimination against a disabled person or a black person or a woman if you if I had a company and I just decided to hire three white guys, um, you know, that could just be that, that that's the brakes. It's not a very large sample size. And so what employers do, what they're incentivized to do, is actually discriminate. Where absent the anti-discrimination legislation, they wouldn't be incentivized to discriminate. They'd be incentivized to hire the best person for the job, black, white, male, female, um, disabled, whatever. But when you add in the, the compliance costs and the risk of very expensive lawsuits that could put a small business out of business that could completely bankrupt them, the The risk to reward isn't there. And so they just don't hire them in the first place. And that's a big reason why um, minority employment is lagging in certain uh, industries. And that's why after the ADA, there are less disabled people working than before. So all of this legislation just backfires and it's it really is unfortunate. And it's I mean, it's just it's one of those things that that politics destroys because nobody politically can come out against the Americans with Disability Act. It'd be political suicide, right? You know, it's all about symbolism over the actual result or the intent of the legislation rather than the result. So, well, we, we passed this anti-discrimination law, so you can't discriminate against people in wheel, wheelchairs. And even though that ends up uh, forcing people to discriminate against them and the people, the very people you pass the legislation to help end up being hurt worse than before. Well, that doesn't matter because our, our intentions were good and we can still pat ourselves on the back, at least for trying. And then once the legislation blows up and ends up being a complete and total utter failure, if you look at the numbers on this, th- there are no positive benefits from the ADA, like none. If the goal was to employ more people and give them a sense of a purpose and, and help them get jobs and contribute to society. And, you know, uh, all of that has, has gone out the window, but. That doesn't stop them from promoting the ADA as like the, you know, this great accomplishment. And it's been 30 years and, but we still, of course, have more work to do because these people are still suffering. And so every time the legislation fails and creates a bunch of unintended consequences and more problems to that, um, group of people, that specialized group of, of people that were granted this privilege. Well, now we just need to pass more legislation. Uh, of course, obviously. So, so then instead of repealing the legislation that's exacerbating the problem, we pass a, a new form of legislation to give them some other benefit. Or try to correct some other problem, which in turn will, of course, create more under t- unintended consequences and more problems. And then once those problems present themselves, then we need more legislation to, to address those issues, and it just keeps snowballing and snowballing until we have, you know, rooms full of all this legislation and, and a million more problems than when we started with. That is what government does. That is the nature of all of this legislation. And there are a lot of, I mean, there are some really devastating examples of this. You know, the minimum wage. And I've done a lot on the minimum wage as well. Uh, podcasts on the minimum wage. You can, you can go back and listen to those. But that, that's another one of these sing-songy, sound-good legislation that actually just hurts the very group of people it purports to uh, protect, right? The, the minimum wage is, is one of the dumbest economic... Um, pieces of legislation we could possibly do it basically just makes it illegal for anybody who can't produce that amount of productivity whatever it is eight dollars an hour fifteen dollars an hour if you can't produce that to the employer uh, you, you can't you can't work it's illegal that, that's basically along the same lines as the the ada and and you see these unintended consequences where they just destroy entire economies you know one of the places I've been meaning to move to for uh, I, I, I want to get citizenship there, which means I have to stay there for six months. Plus one day is Puerto Rico and Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory. They, they pass these these laws like the minimum wage law. They get subject to the U.S. federal minimum wage and it, it completely destroys their economy. They have untold amounts of unemployment. They have the they're like the most expensive island around uh the Caribbean there like the Dominican Republic is right across the water you can literally see it from places in Puerto Rico if you go to uh Rin- Rincon or something like that and everything's more expensive there because they're subject to uh, the the federal minimum wage and a bunch of um, labor union laws that say that um, everything that gets shipped to, to Puerto Rico has to be on a U.S. flagged ship, meaning it has to have a U.S. crew and they have to be paid, you know, whatever the going rate is for the U.S. crew and, and their union and everything like that. So everything there is more expensive. The housing, the hotels, they're more expensive because they have to pay uh, the the federal minimum wage when the cost of living out there especially in the surrounding islands is a lot cheaper and they're not subject to that minimum wage. So instead of people going to Puerto Rico, which would make sense for the vast majority of at least people on the East coast in the U S it should be like the number one U S tourist destination. I mean, it's a, it's a short flight. They're on the dollar. They use U S dollars, your data, you know, your phone, you don't roam or anything. They use Verizon and all that stuff like it. It's just like being in the U S it's just, you're in the Caribbean. And it's got great surfing, it's got a great city in San Juan, it's got jungles, it's got mountains, it's got beaches, it's got everything you want, great food. And, and very few people go there because it, it's it's more expensive than going anywhere else in the Caribbean. And then that's because of these unintended consequences of of this government legislation. But anyway, back to the ADA stuff, because more often than not, I think what ends up happening is it's not people that are employed it's not disabled people that are employed that end up suing their employers as often as it is people who are customers who are just sort of seeking seeking lawsuits as a way of making a quick buck and that might be because very few disabled people are employed anymore but you know once you're employed by a company they they usually treat you pretty well um, or you, you quit or you'd find a new job or something like that. Um, most of these lawsuits, like I remember Chipotle. Um, Chipotle, when they were first opening up, this was years ago, obviously. They, um, some customer came in in a wheelchair. And I forget which location this was at. But they couldn't see over the counter, right? The counter was like, you know, a, a few inches too high or whatever. Uh, above the the regulation for the ADA or some shit like that. And so they couldn't see all the the food or whatever that they were trying to order. And even though, you know, the employees there were like, hey, you know, you can have a seat over there. We'll bring you samples of everything so you can taste it, and then we'll make you the burrito and bring it to you, whatever. She sued Chipotle. And uh, Chipotle had to retrofit every single counter in every single one of their locations. (laughs) Now, imagine the cost of doing that just for one customer in a wheelchair who couldn't see over it. I mean, this is what these laws do. Now, Chipotle is a big company. They they can obviously absorb those costs, which... No doubt get passed on to the customer. All the costs of this always get passed on to the customer. But uh, imagine if, if you're a small business and you have to abide by this sort of stuff and you, and you build out your whole thing. And then one of these customers comes in and sues you over some frivolous thing. Like they have a right to, to, uh, patronize your business. I mean, th- these things, they, they crush businesses. They crush the, the disabled. They hurt everybody involved except for the politicians who get to fucking, you know, stand up and virtue signal about how great they are. So a lot of times what ends up happening with these ADA regulations, right? When they, when somebody goes into a business and ends up suing them because they're not up to the uh, Americans with Disability Act compliance, what, what, a lot of times what happens with these companies is instead of fixing the requirement so that in case anybody with a wheelchair comes in to a Chipotle they can see over the counter or something like that a lot of times the companies just stop offering the service now that isn't the case with Chipotle but there's a a number of cases where it's basically like if you can't provide whatever service you're providing to everyone, every single type of person that comes in, no matter what then you can't provide it to anyone and so you just get rid of offering that service so that you don't get sued by somebody with that disability which, which is just absolutely ridiculous so the ADA doesn't um, doesn't serve to get access to things for disability for people with disability it ends up just taking away access for everybody else and so now nobody gets anything um, it, it just it's full of just horrible uh, unintended consequences it, it really is uh, it really is something else and you know I'm walking around, like I said, I'm in Mexico right now, and I, I'm right on the beach. And every morning, I go for a beach walk, right? And I, I, I walk the whole length of this beach. It's one of my favorite things to do uh, during the day. And the other day, this, this, is, this literally happened, um, and it's one of the reasons why, why I wanted to talk about this, because I get to the end of the one end of this beach where there's this, this walkway up, there's steps going up, and then you can kind of walk in between these buildings, and it leads out to the street. Uh, right sort of right by the marina here so i walked to that under the beach and i'm just sort of hanging out there i think i was probably listening to uh, music or a podcast or something like that overlooking the the bay here and, and just sort of loving life and i noticed this family are, are coming down the walkway and they're getting to the stairs and one of them is in a wheelchair and the, this guy's pushing him in the wheelchair and the rest of the family you know it was like a mom and, and some little kids and they get to the stairs, and it's like, oh, shit, what are we going to do? This beach isn't wheelchair accessible. And they sort of hesitate for a second. And then I see that this guy's going to, and these are not, you know, these are like Mexican steps, right? They're like, they're stone, they're steep. It's not like the best thing to be, to to have to navigate, even when you have uh, two working feet. So this guy starts to turn, and he's going to back down the steps with the with this girl in the wheelchair and you know the women and children can't can't really lift anything so i you know i walk over there i'm i'm standing right there so i go over there and i i help them carry it down the stairs it wasn't you know it wasn't a big deal or anything they thanked me and then they got they she got to go on the beach and and play around in the water or whatever and i just sort of carried on with my day but i remember thinking to myself i was like man if this was america this this beach would have to like whatever I don't know if it's like the hotel that's right there um, they would have to make it wheelchair accessible or they would have been sued by this family or something like that because it, it wasn't wheelchair accessible even though it's not you know people can help other people get get down these steps and everything but I, I don't know it just um you know your heart goes out to these people and I, I just remember thinking I was like god thank I, I complained about a lot of things, government in particular. And, um, even when, you know, things are going really well that, you know, I have this tendency to focus on negative stuff, which I'm trying to get better about. It's always sort of been a problem that I have. But, um, man, when you, when you see somebody in those circumstances, your heart goes out to them and you want to help them out. And I think. I'm not unique in that, like I'm not giving myself this huge pat on the shoulder because I helped uh, carry this girl down the stairs so that she could go to the beach. Um I, I think that that would be, you know, if anybody else was standing there and they had seen that, I think 99 out of 100 of us would have gone to help in, in some way, shape or form. Like I was worried this guy was going to just fall backwards down the steps and he would die. And, you know, who knows? But I, I think the vast majority of people want to help disabled people, um, and I think the vast majority of society would, given the the correct circumstances. And we don't need government to come through with some misguided, well-intentioned legislation that that's going to disincentivize people from doing that. Like people would love. I think that uh, employers would get a, a lot of satisfaction from hiring disabled people you know assuming that they don't uh, assuming that they you know it's not going to cost them money you know if they can um you know maybe they have to pay them less because they're they're somewhat disabled and they can't provide as much productivity as a fully abled person Uh, they'd still like to do that because there's uh there's a part of everybody i think that wants to help the less fortunate and people that are in shitty circumstances for no uh you know, fault of their own. You know, like grocery stores, I I haven't been to a grocery store that's actually had anybody bagging groceries lately. Uh, a lot of them have self-checkout. A lot of them just don't have the number of employ, uh, employees to, to do that. So I end up bagging my own groceries. And that, believe me, is a function of the minimum wage. You can thank them for that. Um, so now we're all sort of part-time grocery baggers or, or uh, checkout girls when we Go and uh, do the self-checkout thing, but you know grocery stores. When I was a when I was younger, they I I remember they would always have you know kids with like Down syndrome and things like that that were bagging groceries that that were doing things that you know that they could handle that didn't require a, a specialized skill and that made them feel great it gave them a sense of purpose in life it gave them something to do it gave them a reason to get up in the morning it gave them a sense of pride that they were providing something for themselves and you know they had a job and it was it helped with their their personal development they they'd make friends they'd get to talk to people uh it, it was a great thing and and businesses would do that they would hire those people but they can't hire them at like the same wage they could somebody who doesn't have some sort of inhibiting disability because they can't, they, they can't produce that much. You, you, your businesses are not going to hire somebody and, and take a loss. Now, if you can hire them, at, like say, say somebody with down syndrome or something like that can produce uh, $5 an hour worth of productivity and uh, you know somebody without it can produce $7 of productivity you can't hire the the disabled person at $7 an hour i mean you could but you'd be losing money and nobody would do that no you're not in the business of hiring people to lose money you hire people to help make money and so they pass these these ADA laws and these anti-discrimination laws that say you can't pay you have to pay them the exact same amount as everybody else or whatever and so instead of them being employed at at $5 an hour they're unemployed at $7 an hour and now what does that do to to the person that that would have gotten that job that would have you know drastically changed their life for, for the better i mean yes yeah, sure they're, they're not making as much as a, a regular uh, grocery bagger or something like that but they they don't care about that it's not necessarily about the money for for like uh somebody with down syndrome in that case it's about you know having something to do having a responsibility learning like some sort of skill getting to interact with people having a sense of pride like you can't even put a price on some of those things uh, and it just it, it it really changes their lives and it, it is sort of tragic that this legislation all of this well-sounding well-intentioned legislation can can just completely destroy Uh, some of the options available to these people. And then they they end up feeling worse about themselves. They end up feeling like they can't accomplish anything or they're completely dependent. And then the government comes out and they talk about how despicable it is that, you know, these corporations won't hire these people. And now we need to have this program to counteract that program. And uh, it's just (laughs) it's so frustrating to watch us make these mistakes over and over again. And having having people not grasp this concept and the people that, you know, maybe present an alternative solution like me, we get branded as insensitive or heartless or things like that when it's really the exact opposite. We're just looking at the results of these programs and realizing the damage that they're doing and that it's inherent in basically every government piece of legislation. Every single one of them have these unintended consequences that always end up hurting the very groups that they uh, purport to help. So uh, I, that, that's all I'm going to say about that. I, I think if you do follow Peter Schiff, he'll have a lot more to say on it. I'm sure he'll go through the numbers or something like that. He always does a lot of in-depth uh, research and stuff on that. I, I just um, I thought I'd give my two cents on it because, uh, well, <laughs> I came across a, a disabled person trying to get down to the beach the other day, and then I hear Kamala Harris yapping about it on uh, Twitter. So. Anyway, let me uh take a second, take a little break here, and pay a couple bills and thank our sponsor for today's show. That, of course, is Lorenzati Coffee. Lorenzati L-O-R, E as in Edward, N is in Nancy, Z is in zebra, O-T-T-I. Dot coffee is a company run by two liberty-minded entrepreneurs who came together with the idea of bringing premium Italian coffee back here across the pond to the United States And wanted to supply coffee shops and small independent companies with the products that they need to brew that premium Italian coffee that we all love so much in Italy, which none of us can go get right now because of COVID-19. So if you go to lorenzati.coffee and you enter the code, promo code FICTION, you'll get 10% off your order and you'll get free shipping if you order at least two tins. Guys, it's really important that you help support the sponsors that uh, support this show and help make this possible. So get yourself a, a couple tins of coffee. Delivered right to your door. You don't have to go put a mask on and go into Starbucks and socially distance and deal with all that crap. Just go to Lorenzotti.coffee, use promo code FICTION for 10% off, and you'll get that delicious coffee delivered right to your door. All right. I want to switch gears here for a minute and do a little bit of follow-up to what I talked about. I think it was on the last episode where we sort of went over some of the Republican plans for the next stimulus check, how Donald Trump wanted to do a payroll tax, um, exemption. So, <laughs> so, uh, they, they would hold off on deducting Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, payments from your paycheck for a temporary time to sort of goose the economy, you know, to help, to help people out, to help businesses out, to help employee, uh, employees out so that they get more money in their pocket if they happen to have a job. And, I, you know, I talked about how that's sort of a, an implicit admission that those taxes hurt the economy overall if, in order to help the economy, we're going to suspend them temporarily. Uh, the whole point of all, those, of all the withholding from your paycheck is to fund all of these Ponzi schemes that the government is forcing us into, like Social Security, for instance, which is already completely bankrupt. That They've already uh, burned through all of that money and then some. you got to go back and listen to my episodes on how screwed the Social Security fund is and how it's the biggest Ponzi scheme the world has ever seen. And uh, even Bernie Madoff pointed that out. But, I mean, what is this going to do now if we, we have – not only do we have less people working – Uh, this is one of the points I think I failed to make last week, but so we have less people working. We have people, we have companies earning less money, right? We have fewer people in the labor force. And now anybody that's actually in the labor force is not paying into social security for, you know, who knows how long this uh, stimulus package would go for, you know, until the crisis is over or whatever which is only going to serve to exacerbate the decline of Social Security, the, the eventual collapse of it. I mean, I suppose on one hand that's a good thing if politicians were going to be honest enough to level with the American people and get rid of Social Security altogether since it's a, a bankrupt Ponzi scheme. And we're, people my age and younger are going to get left holding the bag for this, pay in hundreds of thousands of dollars over our lifetime, and get nothing in return. This is only going to serve to exacerbate that problem and and bring it about that much quicker. So I don't know if that's a good thing or not, because in all likelihood, you know, the politicians aren't going to come forward and be like, listen, Social Security didn't work. Sorry, we're going to end the problem and we're going to exempt everybody from some certain age going forward, which is what they should do. I mean, at some point, we're going to have to admit that this is a, a, a colossal failure. And I I think one of the best approaches to do that is to level with the American people, tell, you know, you're going to have to come up with some sort of cutoff because you can't cut it off on people that are like 61 or whatever. And we're planning on collecting their Social Security in four years and we're completely depending on it. But, you know, maybe somebody who's 45, 45 and under, you exempt them from it. And we just get rid of the whole thing and you sort of dwindle it down to the number of people that are on it until it's gone. And then we can stop with this stupid fucking charade that is just a complete and utter disaster. But more likely what's going to happen is they're just going to print the money. And they've even admitted this. They've even admitted this is what they're going to do. They will always guarantee that people get their benefits, their Social Security paycheck, the nominal dollar amount in the mail. It's just a matter of what that dollar amount is actually going to buy you if they keep inflating away all of our purchasing power. And if this is the the path we're going on where we're not going to collect anything in, for social security but we're going to keep printing money to pay it out and we're going to print money for everybody else to not work and we're going to print money until we have a covid vaccine whatever the hell that means and you know we're we're 26 trillion in debt and the the sky is the limit as to how much they can print i mean these social security benefits aren't going to be worth anything anyway by the time we get to them right so who cares if um if we if we don't you know if we eliminate social security or if you get paid your social security benefits, but they don't get you get paid with worthless money that doesn't buy anything. That's basically a distinction without a difference. So, as far as I'm concerned, we, we should just get rid of this as fast as we can. Um, it's just unfortunate that they are going to continue to take money out of people's paychecks to fund these things as long as they can keep this game going. And, and along those lines, I don't know if you guys remembered, I talked a few weeks ago about a friend of mine who who lost his job. And he was going to get a severance package. And I was talking to him today and you wouldn't believe the, the things that they, the taxes that they take out of your severance package is outrageous. It's outrageous. They ended up taking more than half of his severance in taxes. It, it was something like 22% of the, the total severance amount just goes straight to the IRS. And that is not, um, from what he's telling me, that is not his withholding. So that is in addition to all of the, the payroll taxes that he, that would normally get taken out of that amount of money that he would have received. So it was two months severance. So they had the two months worth of withholding plus 22% off the top. It is just fucking unbelievable. So you get fired. You're supposed to get this severance package. They evaluate your benefits based on that severance package, then take a portion of it. Then they take all your withholding. And then you go on unemployment, and they give you little little uh, crumbs along the way. They give you a fraction of what they took back slowly over a long period of time. Man, it, it's one of the best cases for libertarianism I can think of. I, I think if I can um, gently coax him toward our way of thinking, uh, he, he is uh, livid about this and a fairly involved politically but didn't have any libertarian leanings until he sees what the IRS is about to do to him and that might be a really good way to introduce people to the idea that taxation is theft when they lop off half of what you were supposed to get when you lose your job when you need it more than ever really is something just how retarded everything that they do is. It's always like, we're gonna take this from you and then you kinda have to beg for it back and and we'll waste four fifths of it along the way and we'll give you a little bit here and there. We're gonna you know, the states have to give money to the federal government and then they have to beg for it back and it comes with all these strings attached and everything works that way. And I can't imagine a less productive system. Anyway, that was just sort of on my mind too because I know I talked about it last week and I think I forgot to bring up the fact of the, the impact of not paying the, the payroll tax. You know, I, I talked about the impact, uh, that it would have on, on people, on the workers, but not on the, uh, you know, the balance sheet of the, so, that so-called social security trust fund or the government's balance sheet. So anyway, um, the other, uh, more ridiculous thing that I've been seeing, and there's a lot of memes about this going around, which is, the you know the governments that are trying to roll back these openings, and they're trying to shut down the bar scene without actually shutting it down. They're coming up with all these little um, new rules and regulations you have to follow if you're going to serve alcohol. It has to be served with food, and so <laughs> so you get all these bars that are coming out, and they're finding all these ways around that stupid rule, which. You know, I mean, once you're out and you're at the and you're at the restaurant and you're sitting there without a mask on and you're drinking and or eating, like, isn't the cat out of the bag by then? I mean, what difference does it make from a a covid transmission perspective, whether or not you're eating or drinking? (laughs) Right. I mean, if I sat in a restaurant for two and a half hours and I ate food versus sitting in a restaurant for two and a half hours and drinking whiskey what difference does that make? I mean, this is just so retarded. But so you start seeing all these menus coming out of places like New York, because I know Cuomo was out there trying to talk about what constituted a meal. Like this is just perfect, right? That's exactly what we need the government to do now for us: is to tell us what a meal is, what what constitutes a meal now for for the state of New York or something like that. Because all of these bars were coming out with menus like the world's smallest sandwich. Um, they'll give you like uh, one cracker or something or a bowl of pretzels and charge you a dollar for it or charge you 10 cents. Whatever they needed to do to actually serve you something to eat so that you could sit there and drink the whole time. And then they're like, well, you have to order a, 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 some sort of food item with every drink that you have. And so... Um, are all these hilarious i was looking at some menus that i saw floating around the internet i'm pretty sure these are real yeah i can't see the name of the restaurant here it's uh it's cut off on the coaster but whatever it's uh new york state they came up with a special menu new york state's food mandate menu they have cheerios you get a handful of everyone's favorite downtown air freshener for a dollar Bloody Mary garnish skewers with lemon, lime, olives, celery, cheese cube, pepperoni, pickle, pepperoni, uh, pepperoncini. That sounds pretty good for $2. You can get a bag of chips, your choice of whatever's hanging on the rack. Uh, give me the cheapest thing on the menu, which is oyster crackers for 50 cents. You can get an orange. You have to peel it yourself. Cost costs a dollar. If you If you order any one of those, you can get yourself a drink or, uh... My favorite one was the village line, <laughs> and the menu actually uh, spells out, fuck Cuomo. It's great. The first item is a flour tortilla, then oats, uh, barbecue chips, a carrot stick, kiwi, chocolate chip cookie, unsalted nuts, an oatmeal cookie, a meat slice, <laughs> or an orange slice, and everything costs a dollar. Uh, Lafayette menu, they got house chips, a piece of meat. One piece of our slice, sliced charcuterie meat, uh, chef's choice, try substituting for a piece of cheese, also chef's choice, grapes, just a few grapes, not sure the color, the smallest piece of cheesecake in Buffalo, literally the smallest cheese of, uh, piece of cheesecake you've ever seen, nine French fries, or a handful of croutons um so cuomo had to come out and start defining what constituted a meal now like what what was substantive enough like uh if chicken wings or didn't uh qualify as a meal and it's just the the level of fucking gall on these government like i just want one reporter or somebody to stand up and ask these guys where they're getting the authority to do this to do any of this None of this is authorized under any of these constitutions, any of these documents that they've sworn an oath to uphold and defend. And, you know, I don't put that much faith into a, a, a state constitution or the federal, con- you know, the, these documents that were hundreds of years old that I had nothing to do with. But like, um, I think it was, uh, was it Lysander Spooner who said that, you know, uh, the American people aren't bound by these these documents. They never consented to this. We never signed anything But all these politicians they swore an oath to it. They swore an oath to it. So they actually have uh, To abide by what they've sworn an oath to uh, you know us like we, we never did any of this uh, This is all just a bunch of nonsense But the idea of a government defining a meal The irony of this is just off the charts I mean, one of the reasons that the American people in particular are so susceptible to dying from the coronavirus or getting hospitalized from the coronavirus is because we're a bunch of fat fucks. We are fucking huge, obese, we're unhealthy, we don't exercise, we all have diabetes. These are all the like underlying conditions that take COVID from being the sniffles to you need to be hospitalized and you might die. All of these underlying conditions are a direct result of our diet and our exercise. And lo and behold, the, the government comes out, I don't know, is it 30 or 40, 50 years ago with the food pyramid? And they got that shit completely upside down. They want you to eat the most carbs and the, you know, the most f- sugary fruits. and and grains and and all this sugary shit is at the bottom all this stuff that your body processes into sugar that gives you diabetes is at the bottom and then like the, the most important things that that you should be eating are at the the very top, the smallest amounts of the, of the food pyramid. They got this thing completely upside down, fucked up everyone's diets, and they were taking all this you know the, all this lobbyist money from the sugar industry to lie about how bad sugar was for you. They've comp- they've they put us in a very precarious situation to define what a meal is, and now they think that they can they can tell us what a nutritional meal is that 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 you have to eat in order to be able to drink a beer. Um, this is just fucking ridiculous, man. This is, uh, it's surreal. It's its like we're living in a goddamn cartoon. I, I just don't know what's going to happen next. The, the insanity of all of this is, is really something, man. But places like Massachusetts, Massachusetts bars and other phase four businesses won't reopen without coronavirus treatment or vaccine. This was uh, maybe from a week ago. So I guess they're in, they were uh, talking about their phase 4. I don't know how many phases that Massachusetts has. Amusement parks, arcades, indoor outdoor water parks, saunas, steam rooms, bars and nightclubs were all part of the phase 4 thing and they're shutting back down like they're not opening these things until we have a vaccine or a treatment. So that's just like forever. Forever, I guess. I mean, who knows if we're ever going to have a vaccine for this. There's there's no guarantee you're going to have a vaccine or an effective treatment. It seems like the most effective treatment is to just not have one of these underlying conditions. The last thing I wanted to talk about today, well, not the last thing, but the last thing I think I might have time for because I'm running kind of long here, was this whole um, spat between Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and uh, what was that guy's name? Ted Yoho, a Republican out of Florida. So I guess what happened is, and I don't know if this has been confirmed yet or if it's, uh, sort of like a he said, uh, she said, he said kind of thing. But apparently, uh, this Ted Yoho guy accosted her on the steps of Congress or whatever and called her a, uh, disgusting fucking bitch or something. I think those are direct quotes according to her. But, you know, uh, Ocasio Cortez came out basically making excuses for all of these people that are rioting and looting businesses, saying that they were just doing it because they needed bread to feed their families because they've been out of work, which I mean, she's known for some stupid things. But um I mean, I think her overall point can be taken, like poverty and crime, are are definitely linked, and I agree with that. But the idea that these people that are stealing fucking flat-screen TVs and they're robbing jewelry stores and shoe stores and and all this shit, that they're just looking for a loaf of bread, this is bullshit, man. These are like teenage kids. These are little punks that are running in and fucking stealing from businesses. They're not trying to feed their families, okay? They're opportunistic fucking hooligans running around stealing stuff the first thing is why are they out of work why why can't they uh feed their families if really they're just trying to get a loaf of bread and then and instead of robbing a grocery store which i never saw anybody actually doing that um i saw people going into like walmart and taking tvs and stuff like that never saw them uh, run on the loaves of bread but let's say in theory they were uh you know, all the loaves of bread were taken off of the shelves, and so they were going to steal uh, a 65-inch flat screen from Best Buy, and then they were going to hawk that on the black market for from the guy that, that bought up all the loaves of bread from the local grocery store, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, let's just say, in theory, they were going to do that. Okay. So why isn't there bread on the shelves? Why don't these people have jobs? And there, there are a couple reasons for that. One, if they're the young kids, uh, the minimum wage has a lot to do with that. Okay. Minimum wage pricing their unskilled labor out of the uh, labor labor force uh, Two, the government's locking everything down. They won't let businesses open up. They won't let uh, bars open up until there is a, uh, you know, a vaccine right, or a treatment. Um, they, they won't let you open up unless you serve food. So, I mean, they shut down more than half the economy over this stupid fucking virus that's ruining everybody's life, <laughs> and then they wonder why why people are stealing things, or they start making excuses for them stealing things. Well, okay, then open everything back up. Open them up and, and let us go back to work, and let us go back to living our lives without all these stupid regulations, and then maybe they don't have to uh, riot and steal stuff, right? That would apparently solve all these problems, instead of just bitching about it on some TikTok video or whatever she was doing. It's just so it's absolutely ridiculous to come out and make excuses for this type of behavior when the the crime that they're talking about. Here are some of the numbers. New York recorded 528 shootings from the beginning of this year to the end of last month. So even if it was for a loaf of bread, they're shooting people over a loaf of bread. Yeah, uh, I don't think so. OK, uh, they've seen a percent 0.5% increase in shooting incidences, 63% increase in shooting victims, a 27% increase in murder, burglary is up 45%, and theft of automobiles is up 61%. Now, I don't have any numbers on the, uh, loaf of bread theft going through the roof, but, um, the, I, I don't know how you conflate an, uh, th- stealing a car with a loaf of bread, but, you know, they're probably just trying to feed their families You know, with a car, with a brand new car. AOC is just such a fucking clown. But it was allegedly directed at her because of those comments that, you know, people are afraid they're going to go hungry at night unless they go steal a loaf of bread. Uh, I, I don't understand. I thought we had all these, um, you know, government food assistance programs to make sure they don't go hungry. But the, the thing that really bugs me, though. I mean, I I guess she was taking heat for, you know, she took the House floor and she dropped an F-bomb or something in this dramatic, you know, exchange and recount of what happened to her. Like, oh, this is so terrible. Women are talked to like this all the time. Look, um, the problem I have with this is not that she dropped an F-bomb on the House floor or that she was going back and forth with some, you know, senator from uh, Florida or whatever. Uh, the problem is women like AOC, they get insulted. So they get called a bad word or a bad name, or they get slighted in the slightest sense of the word. And they got to make a federal case out of it. It's the end of the world. This is like the patriarchy and uh, sexism, blah, 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 all that shit. I have to take to the congressional floor and bitch about it incessantly for like an hour. And then in the same breath, they're saying how they're equal to men and they want to be treated equal. We're just as strong as men. We're just as tough as men, which I agree with. Of course they are. Uh, of course. Absolutely they are. And so if I were a woman, I wouldn't want, um, this, you know, Ocasio Cortez is saying that she's representing all these women that are being verbally abused by essentially, you know, telling a sob story on, on the house floor. I, I mean, if I was, uh, A woman, I wouldn't want that sort of representation. I would want somebody to be able to handle that more in stride. To not make this big ordeal about it. To tell you know if somebody says something mean to you, you give them peace of your mind, and then you know that's the end of it water off a ducks back but by turning it into this whole thing this whole ordeal like this is the end of the world because somebody said something mean to me you're adding to that negative stereotype that so many women have worked hard to overcome um you know i, I have three sisters they are they're very successful they're as capable uh of just about anything as any guy that i can think of not from like a, a physical strength you know uh perspective but i, I you know Um, from just about any other perspective in life and in terms of brain and aptitude and, um, and, and skills and everything like that. And every woman I've worked with is, is just as capable as a man at doing anything, you know, um, short of like, you know, lifting physical weight over their head or something like that. I mean, there are biological differences between men and women, but if you're, if you're saying you're equal to men, and you're as tough as men and you want to be respected in the workplace like men. You can't also at the same time want special treatment. Like if a, if a, a male congressman had been walking down the steps and some other man called him a, a fucking pussy or something like that, he doesn't go to the congressional floor and make this national case bitching about, oh, how his feelings were hurt and he was insulted. And this is indicative of, uh, you know, all this treatment that we have to go through. No, no, no. You, he's treating you just like he would a man, apparently. Isn't that what you wanted? Equal treatment? We, men talk shit to each other all the time. You don't think, uh, you know, some con- congressman walking down the steps who's in a fight with another congressman gets called a name, gets called a mean word? Of course they do. Of course they do. We just don't make a federal case out of it. We, do, we don't have to do this, you know, this thing where we're playing this, the world's tiniest violin because somebody called us a bad name and my mom my mom was a pioneer in the labor force she was like the first woman to ever work at standard oil and it was all men and this was back in like the 70s when th- there was a lot more m- misogyny going on than there is today and You know, I don't think, I I mean, I haven't consulted her on this yet. Maybe I'll discuss it with her the next time I see her. But I I don't think she would appreciate women being portrayed as this. It it came across to me as weak. It came across to me as emotionally weak. And I I think she's doing a disservice. I I mean, my mom put up with a lot of shit, a lot of shit from, from men. I mean, she didn't put up with it. Um, they They tried to give her a lot of shit and she had to stand up she had to stand her ground she didn't make a, she didn't make a, a federal case out of everything she She handled her business the way it should be handled it's not this whole like oh we're all victims and we're all being verbally abused, and let 's give ourselves a big pat on the back it's no no, no. you you deal with that person right there face to face you give them what for when when you need to give them what for and you don't let them walk all over you. There are plenty of, of women out there um, that had to go through, you know, the, the same things my mom had to go through when women were you know, first entering the, the, the workforce in a big way. Right. And it just feels like something like this wouldn't even register on the radar to, to, to somebody like that. And yet AOC turns it into this huge thing. It blows it way, way out of the water And it just, it it reeks of this victimhood status that is permeating through our culture today. And it really just bugs me. It really just bugs me. And, I mean, personally, if I was a woman, I would be, I would not want to be represented by her or her reaction to this supposed altercation, which... May or may not have happened the way that she uh, is, is claiming that it did. But even if it did, to act like and to act like women today in the in the workforce are are going through something like women went through forty fifty years ago seems to be pretty out of touch, if you ask me. Now maybe I'm wrong. Um, I, I would love to hear from all of the women that listen to the, the peddling fiction podcast, if you want to straighten me out on this or give me your perspective on this, but I don't know, you know, if, it, if you want to be treated like a, you know, e- equal to a man in the workforce, men say like, say shit like this to each other and not that it's right, not that it's justified, but when it happens, it, it can't become a sob story on the house floor. You, you have to deal with it, you know, face to face, and give him a piece of your mind, put him in his place if he needs to be put in his place. And, and that should be the end of it, in my opinion. But you, you don't get to, on the one hand, claim that you want to be treated just like men, as fairly as men, and you're as emotionally strong and tough as men or whatever. And then when somebody calls you a bad name, you go crying to, con- to uh, the floor of the house. <laughs> and bitch about it and create this whole national news story about how uh, women are so poorly treated. No no no, you got treated just like a man. And that's what you've been asking for the whole time. So you can either suck it up and take it like a man or you you could um bitch about it, which is the the main complaint about women, you know, from uh, misogynistic men is that women can't take uh You know, the the same treatment a man can. They'll start crying. They'll start bitching. And that's exactly what she does. She just starts bitching about it to anybody with a camera, anybody with a microphone. She's just bitching until that she's blue in the face. A guy wouldn't, the guy couldn't do that. Nobody would care. And people would just laugh at him. (laughs) Oh, they called you a fucking bitch. Okay. All right. Suck it up. Be a man. That's literally like a phrase. That's a modern day phrase. You know, be a man about it. (laughs) <laughs> you you want to know why they don't say be a woman about it? Because that's associated with bitching and moaning and crying every time you get called a name. And part of the reason for that is because of you know these over dramatic reactions from people like AOC. And it's not fair because it's not true. I, I think you're doing a disservice to to all of uh, to women everywhere by becoming the stereotype that they've worked so hard to overcome. All, all of the the strong, tough women out there. All of the women that have fought to overcome the stereotype of not being able to emotionally handle something like that, a verbal altercation. And then, and then you go out there and, and you, you handle it exactly the way that a, a, a misogynist would view all of women doing it. You're, you're, you're like proving the, the misogynist's point of view. So, I, I don't know. That's just, that's just my perspective on it. I know that as a man, I'm not supposed to talk about it or whatever, but I, I'd love to hear from the, uh, the female listeners of the show if they have a different take on it. If, if you, uh, if you agree with the, the way she handled this, let's, let's, for the sake of argument, say that what she's claiming is happening, even though, uh, this, this yoho guy is completely denying it and, I mean, I wouldn't put it past her to um, to take some sort of altercation and, and exploit it, make it out to be more than it actually was for some sort of political gain or whatever. But um, I don't know. Uh, me personally, I feel like she set the, the, the woman's movement back a little bit. Maybe the ladies out there feel differently. And we do have some ladies that listen to the show. So not as many as I'd like, by the way. I don't know what it is about libertarianism that doesn't attract women, at least more women. You know, it's like... Uh, you know it's like 85 90 percent men um that's definitely something we got to work on so give me your thoughts on that too what what i can do at the peddling fiction podcast to uh try to reach more women try to empower more women toward libertarianism which is not just the 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 best political philosophy but probably the most empowering for women as well hit me up at pedal fiction with your thoughts and uh i'm gonna wrap there guys If you liked what you heard, do me a favor. Just continue to download and subscribe and share the show with your friends. You can give me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. And if you want to become a supporting listener of the show, you can do that by going to pedalingfictionpodcast.com. And if you can do all that for me, I will be back on Thursday on the new schedule with a brand new episode for you guys. And until then, you know the drill. Just keep on pedaling that so-called fiction. Peace.